going to start our conversation on today is of a young man uh, fondly known as Lucky. Wow. I was about to use his uh, local name, but you've shouted it clean out of my memory. His name is Klantla, and that translates to Lucky. Lucky is the tallest, I think, person at Father's house by quite some measure, and compared to me, he is literally double. It takes two of me to get to his hut. But his story is quite remarkable. If you come to this venue, you will have at some point uh, seen him in the parking lot. And I've invited him to tell his story on camera um, so that we can sort of absorb it, inherit, and post it later. But today I want to take you through a conversation on what the real gospel looks like and how it noticeably and effectively changes and impacts lives. And I think sometimes the gospel is, is taught badly and received poorly. And then it has this incredible consequence of one more thing in your life you could be doing wrong rather than the one thing that makes everything else in your life right. And I blame preachers for this, to be honest, and I'm one of them. I blame preachers for this because I think that as preachers, we have the, temp the tendency or the temptation to teach a gospel that guarantees that you'll need us. So we sort of almost play the part of drug dealers. And you are our addicts. And we give you a little boost on Sunday, just enough to keep the shakes away. But not enough to keep you away. And we bring you back next week and we, your dealer, gives you another shot. But truthfully, if we gave you, as the Bible encourages us to, the full gospel as Jesus Christ died on a cross for, It wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be necessary for us to entice you into faith. You would be overwhelmed into faith. And I think we have to set the lines really straight on this topic. And so I'm going to uh, invite you to have a look at the screen for the next six minutes and have a listen to part of Klantla Vela's story. Here we go. My name is Glanta Vela. I was born in Nurse Spring, 2004, 26th of January. Um, I grew up with my father, who was uh, tough to us. He was um, a very abusive man towards me and my siblings. Um, that was tough growing up around him because he was a man that we, we were all like be scared of him. When he come back from school, we, we had to, me, I remember me and my brother, When he come back to school, he had to pray, like for something not to happen back in the house. So did you, did you, did he leave and you guys started a new life? No, we, <laughs> we had to plan everything. Okay, so like my mom was work, is working as a teacher, but she teach um, grade ones to two grade trees. Okay. Yeah. So like my pops would take my mom's card, like the salary for my mom would go to my father and he would be demanding the money, how must we spend and all this stuff. 
and like so so he would give my mom uh, money to go and buy a grocery. My mom would take like hundred hundred rands from that money and uh, save it, so that when we go we have like transport and all that. We had news that my mom been shot like three times. It was it was um, a bad feeling for for us as kids, and I remember that time. That's when I felt like God is alive, and I went to the veranda. I, was just, I just looked like to the sky and asked God, like, why is this happening? What will I do? What will I tell my little sister when she grows up? I mean, what will happen? And my mom was badly injured, badly injured. She couldn't ride. She was limpy. It was just tough. Then, uh, 2018, yeah. I had to start high school. I don't know where I'm gonna go. I don't know where I'm gonna school. I don't know anything. And I swear, I thought like, my friends were chilling at the, um, at the streets, playing football. And one of my guys was like, bruh, you can't go to my school and just wear like any normal kid. is like grade eight, just wear, I'll borrow you my tie. So I'll just give you my tie and you wear like your old uniform and you go to school. Yeah, it, I was blessed, like I was happy. Happy and I thank God that I got school. And uh, I kept on landing. Passed my grade eight in 2019. I was doing grade nine. And that's where I started basketball. There was a crusade hosted at, um, at my at, at village. And like my grandma was like, let's go to church. And we went to church. And I got in there with my, my, I was with my sister. And she was sitting in the back. I was just sitting a bit in the front. And my grandma was on the side, like uh, my, my other side. Yeah, then the pastor was preaching. They're all praying for people. And he called the people on my row, row like where we were sitting, and caught us in front. And he was praying for everyone, and he just pointed me up. And he was like, you see this boy, he's gonna be good. He's gonna be a great basketball player. Did he say that? He said that, he doesn't even know that I'm playing basketball. He said he's gonna be a great basketball player, he's gonna have a big house in America. And that was a prophecy to me. I was like, whoa, really? And that's where like, I took it serious. In Pretoria, I met coaches, great coach, Sandy Ruse and Crazy Lombs. They had belief that I can be something great. I came to PE. And I didn't know where I was gonna stay and all that, but my family, they had a friend, a family friend that they know. So my grandma asked him, can you please organize me a place or something just to stay? Yeah, so I came this side. I went to New Brighton first. It was a small place. It was a small place. They said I sh I'm going to sleep in the kitchen. Like, they didn't have a space for me. You know. Sleep in the kitchen? Kitchen, yeah. So when, um, when in this part of the story did you meet Cam? I met Cam on basketball court. The way he approached me, he was like, oh, I like you, keep on shooting. Even though he was not that good, but he was making basket. Then he invited me to church. I'm like, yo, really, Cam? Going to church, first weekend, I was like, oh man, I, I'm stuck, the school work, I cannot make it. Then he uh, was good, and he asked me again, like, can you come to church? I was like, oh man, this guy. And I was asking me through text, WhatsApp, like, ah, oh, and I'll make up something not to come. And I texted him, and uh, this time we were finished writing exams, and he called me to come, and I came. I think it was youth for like a week, and it was really nice like meeting our people, and it was to me. It was like, I'm like I'm not used, I'm from the village, you know? 
I'm like seeing all these white people, everyone looking good. I'm like, oh, like first time I'm getting in, like I froze. I'm like, oh wow, okay. And I'm trying to fix myself, and I get in, yeah. But um, it's really been a good experience to be here, and um, it has taught me love and how to to take care of people. Because Cam showed all that to me. He um, always like asks me, like, hey, what are you showing off? How can I help you? Um, what do you need? How is school? I can help you out with school work. I hear he's waking up at uh, three o'clock in the morning. You and him on Zoom calls with coaches, yeah, trying to get you placed somewhere. Did that happen? It, yeah, it happened. We, I had to sleep at his house. Then we wake up at three a.m. We were attended a meeting. Then, uh, like, we try to ask um, how how the recruit, recruiting procedure for like students, student athletes introduced me to his wife, Bianca, then I thought like maybe she would have a problem like picking up this kid, you know? Then she was like, welcome. She had pro she, had, she was good. Like she showed me love. Like I felt welcome. It was uh, Lucky Oklantla's father who shot his mother. She survived, but he had to make his way here and lost contact with having a family. And Lucky's story is an impact to what the gospel can do because he got here and found family. And... <clears throat> And there is something about what this gospel of Jesus Christ can do that uh, nothing else can do the same. One of those things is that God divinely puts people who were not the people of God have become the people of God, who were not a household have become the household. And this gospel cuts across all the barriers that society tells us are tough to overcome, barriers of language and background and, and, and education and, and culture and skin color and, and resource or finance, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as it is correctly shared with us, cuts all of that away and transforms our lives, connecting the most unusually disconnected people to being connected. I mean, a good basketball player and an average basketball player. I, I didn't hear that part in the story. Uh, before we, we, we jump into today's conversation, I just want to acknowledge that um, Lucky is here in the service, and at the end of it, we'll be praying for him. As God journeys him, the interviews are with American placement agencies for his basketball. And um, we're going to be praying uh, part of that story uh, right into existence. Can you say amen to that? And I'm excited for it. I think that's clappable uh, in honoring. Over the next 10 or 15 minutes, I'm going to share with you part one of what the real gospel is and why grace is its defining characteristic. I want to do this from the point of view that if you are, you know, there is a verse in the Bible that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. 
There is also a verse in the Bible that says, once you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good and you should fall back, it's quite hard to renew you. And the reason for that is because there is no better thing to taste and see that it is good than the Lord. There is no alternative thing that you're just missing out on. God is as good as they say He is. God is good. Can you say amen? There is a... I mean, as if we don't have enough conspiracies out there. Um, There is a conspiracy about light bulbs. I'm sure some of you already know the conspiracy, especially if you follow some of the YouTubers who've already done lots of stories about this. This conspiracy at least is quite true. Now, it's personal to me because I have a little shopping illness when it comes to light bulbs. For some reason, whenever I go shopping, and I think I've shared this years ago, I always think I need one more light bulb. And I don't know why, because, you know, we're now in the LED era. Light bulbs don't really blow out. They just fade out, right? But I always buy one more. And then comes the great tension. Do you need a bayonet or a screw in? Which really, one day if I'm president, I'm going to ban that choice, I feel. I feel we should just have one. Uh, That was a joke. Um, But... Uh, this type or that type. For some reason, whenever I buy one, it's the wrong one, so I buy both. The conspiracy about the light bulb is the following, that there is to this day still a light bulb that was um, uh, first plugged in in 1901 at a fire station in America. It's still burning. It's never been switched off. It's still burning. This is the conspiracy. They made light bulbs in the 1920s so well that they could last so long that they realized people would stop buying bulbs because the bulbs would last forever. So they met in Europe in 1926. I'm not even joking. And they all agreed that we should drop the lifespan of a light bulb to a thousand hours and no more so that it would blow and you would have to buy another one or else they'd run out of business. I'm not even joking. Then they all agreed to do that, six major companies, and they'd have to send samples to each other to test. Someone's job was to turn a light bulb on and watch it for a thousand hours to see if you were sticking to the rule. They might wonder, what is, what is the point of that? The, the, the point is this, the devil has gotten into our doctrine and is trying to teach us that there is a light in the gospel that doesn't last as long, and you've got to keep stoking it, spending on it, changing it, adjusting it, tithing for it, attending for it, living righteous for it, in order to keep the light going. And we've been sold on a gospel that somehow uh, part God and part our effort. But the real gospel is a light that burns that never goes out. And this is, this is a pretty big deal because it's not meant to be another burden, a to-do list. I had a, a fear in the early stages of my faith because somebody, a great preacher once preached, I won't mention his name, so his name I've been erasing uh, too many names uh, from the stage, poor Creflo Dollar last week, but I was supporting his change of heart. Um, but One preacher preached at a conference I attended that the more you know, the more you will be judged. And I thought, well, then I should not know anything more. I do not need the additional pressure of knowing more things. And then the the, the guy went on, you know, 
to whom much is given, much will be required. Oh, another pressure. Please, Lord, don't give me much. For him who knows to do good and does it not, it is sin. That's an actual verse. I'm like, okay, if you don't mind, I'm just going to stay fairly ignorant. I don't want to have much and I don't want to do much because the last thing I want is to go to heaven and God say to me, based on how much you knew, you are a failure. You know, I was a little worried about that. Not realizing that what the gospel is, is not me to know more to do. It's me to know more to give thanks for what he has done. At no stage does the burden of being a good Christian shift from the power of the cross to the power of my capacity. The cross still changes lives, irrespective of your capacity for the cross. This was the important idea. John chapter 8 tells us a little of that story. It goes something like this. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, so this is about the law, brought in a woman caught in adultery. I'm always fascinated by where the guy is. I mean, I'm just wondering where, I mean, she was caught in adultery, but I mean, where is he? And they made made her stand before a group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Here's the law again. In the law, Moses commands us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? And they were using this to question this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. What were they going to accuse Jesus of? They were going to accuse him of being too soft. So they thought, look, this guy loves everybody, feeds everybody fish and chips wherever you go, hugging these people, sitting with the tax collectors, inviting all the races together. We've got priests and prostitutes all in one meeting. Let's catch him. Let's see what he's got to say about a woman caught in adultery. And let's see if he really believes that the Old Testament scriptures are true. So they want to catch him. Jesus bent down, started to write on the ground with his finger. A lot of preachers have preached about that. We have no idea what he was writing. We don't know. I think it's better to just say so. I have a personal hope of what he was doing. And I'll put that in my book. But for now, he stooped to the ground. When they kept asking him, he straightened up. He said, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. So the law is true. She has committed adultery. It is a sin. And based on the law, she should be stoned. The question is, who should stone her? So Jesus said, okay, if you want to implement the law, No problem, just find me somebody who's committed no sin and let him do it. And one by one, they all started thinking about their own search history. I mean, wait, sorry. Uh, At this, (laughs) when they heard it, they began to go away, one uh, one at a time. And the oldest one first until Jesus was left and the woman uh, was uh, still... Uh, standing, uh, I'm assuming production, yes, was, woman was still standing there. Jesus straightened up and said to a woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Uh, n- n- no one, sir, he said. Then neither do I condemn you. Uh, Jesus declared, go now and live your life uh, and leave your life of sin. 
Very truly, I tell you, Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone Jesus, but Jesus hid himself, slipped away from the temple grounds. The last part of that chapter, that verse 59, is very important because the woman did something wrong. People wanted justice, but people aren't qualified to give out justice because we are flawed. Jesus says, go and sin no more. But now, how does the sin get punished? In the last verse, people were about to throw stones at Jesus and Jesus slipped away because it was the wrong day. The stoning, the sacrificing, the punishing would happen on a cross. Jesus saw that to set this woman free, there'll be stones thrown at me on another day. Now, what we don't realize is justice isn't ignored. Justice is simply measured onto Jesus Christ on the cross. The gospel is not about my ability to take the punishment from heaven. The gospel is about showing gratitude to Jesus for taking the punishment on the cross for me. This is the incredible power of the gospel. The Bible is divided up into two phases, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The whole Old Testament is devoted, it's not a mistake, it's devoted to this one idea, can we find God on our own? The whole Old Testament is people building towers and people moving across countries, people trying new things and people hoping for new prophecies. The whole of the Old Testament is about whether you can find God and whether having found God, you can live happy lives. It's all the, the, from the very beginning, Adam and Eve, are you happy? Well, I'm missing one fruit from my basket. Just one thing I'm lacking. All the way across scriptures of the Old Testament, can we find God? And then the New Testament comes and the Bible says that God became flesh and found us. You can't find him, he finds you. He found you. It's as though you're, you know, following a GPS guide and you keep getting lost. Your GPS keeps saying, do a U-turn, do a U-turn, do a U-turn. You phone your friend, you say, I'm trying to get to your house. I can't find it. I'm confused. And in frustration, eventually your friend says, stay where you are. I'll come to you. The gospel of Jesus Christ, this good news is in all our efforts trying to U-turn and correct and U-turn and correct and find God and then find happiness and a righteous life and a joyful life, God eventually said, you're not going to find heaven that way. Heaven will come to you. Stay where you are. I'll find you in your sin. This absolutely changes everything. Everything I do is an expression of gratitude for what God has done, not some sort of an effort on my own part. Religion is a dangerous thing. We must avoid it. We must get people out of religion and get people into right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what people need. And the devil has convinced us to buy the thousand hour light instead of recognizing that there is a light that never goes out. And even the sun and the moon, the Bible says, will eventually fade away. But the streets will still be lit by the countenance or the brightness of God himself. That's what Revelation says. The sun and the moon are even temporary compared to the brightness of who God is. 
We should get out of religion. Stop worrying about whether you're doing religion right and just get into right relationship with God. If you do anything in your faith out of fear, then you're in a religious system. But if you do it out of gratitude and out of joy, then you're doing it out of relationship. Jesus changed people's lives so much. They were willing to drop their businesses, drop their confused families. They were willing, those families, I say confused because, you know, a lot of people walked away from their confused family. If they liked their family, they brought them with. So that's my personal standard when I read the Bible. Some people didn't tell their family. They're like, you guys are too crazy. I am going with Jesus. And then some people loved their family and said, come see the man who who saw everything about me. You know, the Bible says in the Old Testament that Moses gave us the law, but in the New Testament, God gave us a man, not a law, a man. Now, I know this is dangerous teaching because some people feel better under rules. I grew up in a boarding school. I liked it. I think everybody should go to like a boarding school or the army for like a season in their lives. Look at how much resistance I'm experiencing in the room right now. That's a dad joke, but I do think it's a good idea just because it taught me how to sort of work within community. But let me tell you, we still like the Old Testament without always saying so. Parents still think that you can teach your children the gospel by making them stick to rules. People still think that if we command you to do something and you comply, you're a better Christian than somebody else or that you're earning points with God. There is no point system. Jesus Christ has covered it all. You don't earn points with God. He loved you when your score was zero. How amazing is that? That God identified us when our score was zero. We didn't know a thing. We hadn't prayed a thing. We couldn't do a thing. And yet God said, I love you enough. I'm coming to fetch you. You're joining my family. You're joining my future. You're joining my kingdom. Come, one and all, welcome. Church is important because it should be a safe place for a sinner to find a savior. Church should not be a safe place for saints to attack sinners. Don't do it. Don't do it. Now I know, and I get we get into a lot of trouble for this. People are going to say, well, you know what type of people will come to your church then? Well, I'll give you the answer to that. The type I was before I was found by Jesus Christ. Every type any type, come to the cross of Jesus Christ. Changes your life. Changes your life. Systems don't. Rules and regulations don't. Compliance doesn't. Just come. Now, I know the temptation is then to say, that's just lazy Christianity. Jesus does it all, and you just float along, one day getting into heaven. That's just cheap grace. But then I don't think you understand love. Love is not cheap. Love is sacrificial. I'm so grateful to the Lord for what he has done for me that my view is that nothing I have belongs to me 
It all belongs to him. My time is his, my talents are his, my treasures are his, and my testimony is his. How much more grateful would somebody be if you saved their lives than somebody be if you just passed a test? I want to encourage you today to think about whether your faith is rooted on compliance with regulations. Let me tell you why this is important. The children rising into adulthood now, the next generation, are not interested in a rule-keeping religion. All they want to know is if it's real for their lives today. And if we teach them rules and not teach them relationship, they will walk away from the church in their thousands and say, I don't need the admin of church anymore. And yet, church is not admin. It is the greatest joy. Faith is the greatest joy that your life could ever discover. It'll make you a happy person from the inside out like nothing else can. Nothing else can fulfill a man or a woman's heart quite like the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives. A light that can never go away. Can you say amen to that? The Bible tells us a couple of things about this real gospel, and how to explore it. The first thing is that we are all impacted by Adam, the first Adam and the second Adam. We are all impacted by Adam. Do you know that thanks to Adam, I was born with a little bit of a temper. I didn't have to work hard to get a temper. It just came there. The first time I didn't get the toy I wanted, Adam worked through me and I had a tantrum. I'm told by my mother that I was so difficult when it came to feeding time. I had to hold on to a certain thing, a window or something. You know, these, these copper handles, or I wouldn't eat. I just wouldn't eat. Eventually, they tricked me and kept a copper handle in their bag. It was no longer attached to the window, but I was only too happy to hold on to something. I I didn't have to do anything at all. It's just the consequence of Adam. Adam's sin separated me from God, uh, every generation from God, and put me in a place of being an automatic sinner. Later, I stopped blaming Adam because I had accumulated some of my own sins. You know, when you get wise enough and old enough, you realize this is just me. This is an Adam. This is me. But the Bible says that through Jesus Christ, this man, Jesus Christ, did the exact opposite. What Adam did in pulling us into sin, Jesus did in pulling us into salvation so that When I was born, I behaved like a sinner. But when I was born again, doing nothing else, I start to behave like a saint. saint. This idea is incredibly powerful. You don't have to create it in you. You just have to walk in it. You might think, well, you don't know me. My temper is so strong. It came through the born again season. And it's on the other side. That I want to encourage you about this. The work that the Lord has begun, he will finish. He's only just started. It took Adam 
and all the consequent generations so long to create a world so angry and so disconnected from God. But let Jesus in. And in the very shortest of time, life starts to come through your spirit and change your life. It'll transform you. Romans chapter five, verse 17 says, for it is by one man's, of, uh, one man's uh, offense, death reigned through the one. Much more, those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Sin is strong, but when it encounters Jesus Christ, salvation is much stronger. I want for you to know that. I want for you to know that whatever it is that you've been managing in your life, stop managing it and surrender it and let Jesus take it away. Stop managing your sin because at some point you're gonna fall. Rather say, Lord, I surrender it to you and I accept new life and the freedom to be as you have called me to be. I'm not fighting, you fought for me. I'm not trying to win, you won for me. I'm not hoping it'll work out. You made it work out on a cross. I don't hope that things will finalize, I know they've been finalized. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. It has been done. The victory is yours. You can walk in full freedom of faith. This idea that we keep coming to church because we're a work in progress in the sense that we're a project is very disheartening. We don't come to church or log in online or read our Bibles because God's got so much work to do with us. Oh my goodness, how much he still has to do. No, we read it so we can rejoice. We sing it so we can rejoice. We gather so we can celebrate. Look what the Lord has done. Can you say amen? Stop. <laughs> we'll get to capable moments in a moment. Stop telling your friends and family that you've got to get to church because God's got to do some stuff in you. You're discouraging people. Some of your kids email me. They do. They email me. They in, actually don't email me. I don't know what email is. They, they DM me on a social media platform because they know you won't find it. And they tell me, this Christianity thing bothers me. Mom and dad look like they're in a perpetual heavy process. I don't need a heavy process. So stop it and start rejoicing. There are lots of things that haven't been finalized, but my alpha has already written the omega. I know he'll figure it out for me and I'll walk in it in the fullness of time. I'm not the project. Jesus has already set me free. This idea that we have to fight for something already given us should stop and we should instead rejoice for it. Every time I think about how I taught this incorrectly, let me tell you my own view. I taught this for years incorrectly. I used to say I taught the law graciously. I taught the law, but I was nice about it. But I never taught grace properly. And grace means there is enough in heaven for you and for me at our best and at our, at our worst. There is enough grace for it all. For it all. In your weakest moment, there's enough grace. And in your strongest moment, there is enough grace. In fact, 
to be honest, I've seen the grace of God more when I'm weak than when I'm strong. For his grace is sufficient for me in all of those things. The second thing I want to remind you of is that we're not practicing something. It's God who is perfecting something. Oh, there's a big difference between the two. You know, when I practice something, I hope to get better at it. When Ray Bevan was there, he said, George, you should take up golfing. It's good for the heart. I said, Ray, I don't think I will because I am so concerned that the unchristian side of me will come out on the golf course along with all the other saint sinners on the golf course. He said, no, you should get out there and enjoy it. He said, you just do a little bit of practice and you'll get better at it. I think he's right. If I do a little bit of practice, I'll get better at it. I'll never be perfect though, but I'll be better. But I won't be perfect. If I do a little bit more practice at cooking, I'll be better. But I won't be perfect. If our national rugby team does a little bit more practice, Oh, sensitive. <laughs> New Zealand is up next. Then we're going to see who's Christians <laughs> and who's not because there's a very funny line there in rugby with regards to New Zealand. No, they, 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 they got better and better, didn't they? I mean, that was very nice last night and I knew that you could, would come to church then and sing songs of praise because I get very worried if they lose on Saturday, then we're going to do resurrection songs. I'm going to do resurrections. You'll get better, but you'll be perfect. So apply that in every area. If you practice Christianity, you'll get better, but you'll never be perfect. But he who began a good work in me shall perfect it on the day of Jesus Christ. I'm not practicing towards something I'll never be perfect at. I am receiving the perfect, finished, and complete work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The one thing in my life that is perfect is my salvation. Everything else is imperfect, being worked towards perfection. I'm getting better, but my salvation is perfected by Jesus Christ on the cross. Can you say amen to that? Finally, God no longer keeps a record of my sins, but only a record of my service. In the Old Testament, God kept a record of sins. You had to do an account for it. You had to pay for your sins. To this day, a lot of people think like that. Something goes wrong, you say, I did something and I'm being punished for it. That is not grace New Testament language. God would be very busy if all day he was weighing up your actions to see what punishment he could send you. You swore red traffic light for you. You forgot to read your Bible. Coffee's going to spill on your iPad. It's your fault. I'm keeping a record. You didn't tithe. George is going to know. I'm going to tell him. We live in this tremendous anxiety about some invisible calculation, uh, the calculation of which will always put us at the wrong. But you know what the Bible says? 
he has taken our record of wrongs and nailed it to the cross. Instead now, he keeps a record of service. Your acts of kindness echo into heaven. Your generosity echoes into heaven. Your crown of righteousness awaits those of whom God might say, well done, my good and faithful servant. My service is recorded even when no one else sees it. The times you've prayed for a husband who's lost is recorded in heaven. The times you've wept over your children not knowing Jesus is recorded in heaven. The time you discreetly help somebody with a helping hand is recorded in heaven. No longer a record of your sins, now a record of your service is what heaven keeps for us. Colossians chapter 2.14 says, Having wiped out the handwritings of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. He took everything out of the way. Whatever you think is in the way of you being who God wants you to be, he nailed it on a cross. And he took it out of the way. We keep turning Christianity into something it is not. The other day, I'll close with a story. Will I, though? And I never know. Um, I'm going to close with a prayer with, uh, but I'm gonna, the story. Someone said to me the other day, listen, can't we go back to singing like the, 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 the good Christian songs? I said, what are you talking about? They said hymns. You know the hymns. You know, they power. Let me tell you a little story about hymns and how they came about. You can Google this for free. This is totally free information. We aim as a service here to serve you in any way. Now you know about light bulbs. You didn't know that when you came here. Now you know about the gospel. Now you're going to know about hymns. When the preachers, okay, so in those days, people were not very educated, right? So the preachers were trying to teach the Bible, but to people who didn't like reading. So what the preachers thought they'll do, go Google this. It's really, Google it free of charge. What the preachers did was they said, what if we took the, the, the information of the Bible and we put it in a rhythm that people will remember? So they said, well, what's the best rhythm? And they decided drinking songs from the pub. So they took the rhythm or rhyme of the drinking songs in the pub and then they put doctrine to it to help the people learn the Bible and they called it hymns. And then the people were upset eh, in those days. They said, yeah, I'm singing, pass me another one, Joe. And with the same rhythm, now I'm singing, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. People were like, no, sis, man, you're bringing the bar into the church. Now, a hundred years later, we're sitting here righteously. We're going, I'd like those spiritual songs. <laughs> you mean the one from the pub? What is it about the heart of man that wants to turn relationship into regulation and religion and freedom into bondage? And what is it that we like to compete with one another that I'm better than you and the only way I can be better than you is if there is a rule by which I win and you lose instead of an open house with people at different levels of maturity, not levels of application. And you might be less mature or more mature in an area, but we are sons and daughters of God. We are alive in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We're alive. Okay, I must, I must end now, though I really don't want you, but there's always tonight if you're in the Mandela Bay area. Chantla, um, this idea of the gospel and, and its impact 
on my heart is such that it, it swells within me, that it becomes uncontainable. And when I, I heard his story, I thought, there's a part of the story that I didn't include. It was a long interview, a good interview. I said to him, when you started playing basketball, he was a tall guy, and St. Andrews offered him a scholarship and gray and all various. I said to him, but what is the toughest part? He said, I, I don't have shoes. I don't have shoes for that. It's an expensive thing, that, you know. He said, but, but my mom, she, so, so when, when she had a bit of money, she'd be given some money for transport. And then she'd instead walk for a few hours and keep the money for the transport to buy me shoes. And I didn't want to embarrass him. I, um, and he said, I, I went to trials on those same pair of shoes. They're two sizes too small, but it's, it's the ones I had. So, uh, Shantle, why don't you, why don't you come on uh, up here, uh, Lucky? And Cam, will you come with? He's, um, he's uh, you guys can come along. This is going to be embarrassing for me. I just want you to know that. Come stand next to me. Um, I asked Cam what would be the right shoe for him. And Cam phoned coaches and spoke to you. I don't know if you guys have had this conversation. It's like a four grand pair of shoes. So I'm committing half of that. I'm going to invite anyone who wants to help with the other half or some of you. And I would like to give that first half. You can't get his size anywhere where Amazon delivers. Like, we tried. We tried to actually get a physical pair here. It's being made, you know, by Santa's people <laughs> in a galaxy far, far away. But I've, I've committed to half of that because that's what I can. And some of you have already spoken to me. But come the end of this day, we'll commit to the full amount necessary for you to have the very best pair of shoes you need to trial for... And, and he's, he's presently trialing um, for the national side. And I'm very grateful that having felt like you had little family, you found family. And you slept in a kitchen, but you don't need to do that anymore. And the gospel is not just a bunch of people singing and speaking hot air into the sky and dragging ourselves into happiness so we can dull realities. The gospel is light into darkness, changing realities uh, for people and places around the world. This gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ should be preached to the ends of the earth because it is the only hope by which the ends of the earth might change. It's the only hope. Can you say amen to that? Shall we pray for Lucky? Can I reach is the question. I wonder if at all our churches you would please stand with me. Then we can close the service same time because I'm a little over time. Let's pray. If you're comfortable reaching out your hand, that's your thing, please do it. 
And by the way, while, while we're doing this, I'm, I'm just, I'm aware of different things in different places. I know our worship leader in Jeffreys Bay actually got mugged this morning on the beachfront in Jeffreys Bay and was shaken and so actually, they actually streamed the worship this morning just to give him a break. And I'm just praying, Robert, for blessing over your life. And whatever the devil has stolen from you. Actually, I'm so frustrated by your fight that has had been a fight for years. And I'm praying God will release blessing over your life. And I'm praying that God will do that by moving the body of Christ because that's the hands and feet to reach out and to and to adjust and change things there. I'm praying uh, we love you and 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 we carry you in our, our prayers. Uh, let, let's pray here. Lord, thank you so much for this young man who, not knowing what the future looks like, now faces a bright one in the context of family and community. Thank you that according to the Bible, you put people into families. Thank you, Lord, that once we who were not a people of God are the people of God. Once when we had no hope, now we have hope. Thank you, Lord, that you have perfected our salvation. We're getting better in other things, but concerning salvation, you have perfected it by the cross in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray that as we navigate this conversation of the gospel of grace, you'll change our heart from fear to full of faith, from worry to gratitude, from feeling inferior to becoming children of the Most High. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, would you give God a shout of praise? And 